The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, but hey, welcome to the show where we talk about murder, music, and cicada jumpsuits. Because again, it's the moment. <laughs> uh, this episode is all about history, bitch. Because we don't know enough about history. Hashtag history. History's fucked. <laughs> yeah. I know that my case is pretty uh, trash, and uh, I didn't know about it till TikTok. Isn't it crazy what TikTok will show you? Yeah, yeah these Gen Z, man. These little kids on it. <laughs> they be Googling everything. A battle. Do you want to uh, now take us a stroll down a historic fucked up lane? Yes. Hey yes. everyone, what's up? It's Battle, and I'm just one part of Bruz Murder. You sound so enthusiastic. So today we will be covering some historical events, and I'm just kidding. I won't do that the whole time. <laughs> no, yeah. It's like a PBS special. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a, a little bit more about historical events that happen, and not. The normal types that you know we've heard of before, maybe. Uh, I maybe mean, these are, these are pretty standard. America's kind of you know. <laughs> well, they probably haven't heard of them, but heard of them before. So, this topic, I will say, has was a little bit more difficult as far as bringing background information into the episode, mostly because I was thinking to myself, okay, how far do we have to go back for it to be history? Because anything that happened in the past is. It's history, right? love. Yeah. Well, it's literally history. We are going to be providing what 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 we are going to be providing you all today, and they're just staring at me like, "Well, what are we providing?" No, yeah, it's just what we normally do, like provide cases that you probably have not heard of before. But before we get into the into that, since it is a history episode. I want to first talk about why it's important that we talk about these cases more so when it comes to like black history because black history in schools are more so brushed over and for me in an American history course I've taken at the university I attended when it came to African American history it was 
just brushed over, and I don't understand why that is, or why we have a nation, or why we as a nation have a problem confronting our past, or why is it that when we have these conversations, it immediately goes to virtue signaling or race baiting, when it's like, well, no, the shit happened, and people allowed it to happen. So why can't we come to terms with what we have done as Americans? And what's very interesting is that in a lot of things that we are taught about black history and black American, black Americans, it only shows a small snippets of what black people had to go through. For instance, what we are taught, taught post-Civil War greatly diminishes the type of abuse and violence that black people had to go through, meaning the suffering is almost minimized to make it more palatable. Like, we know that it was bad, but do we know how much black people had to go through, how much abuse black people had to go through after the, or after the Civil War? I also don't think that when we're taught about the civil rights or taught about things like the Civil Rights Movement, it's done enough justice because it's taught in such a simple way like, oh, black people wanted rights, so what'd they do? They go, they went and marched, and they got rights. And it's like, well, no, what really happened? Let's illuminate more on what happened. It's just really oversimplified, in my opinion. Something that we talk about a lot of, on our podcast, or underlying tones in our podcast, are about systemic racism. And I would imagine you probably heard and learned about systemic racism from this podcast more than you have learned about it in school. And that's because it's not taught. Why? It's because, again, it makes these situations, it makes the ideas of systemic racism or what has happened or what's continuing to happen more palatable. For instance, little things like November 2nd, 1920, in O.C. Okoe, Florida, a mob of white men set fire to homes of black communities because black men ended up showing up to vote in their county when they were allowed to vote. No one probably has ever heard of that. I have not and, heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's something that happened. And that's just one example of something that you probably didn't know about. But when it comes to black history, the most important thing is that whenever it's taught, it's taught from a black perspective because if it comes from anyone else, but anyone else other than a black person, is it really black history at that point? So today we are going to take a journey back as far as the 1800s to go over some cases and murders that happened in the past. While they did happen a long time ago, they should still be in a place where we can find information if we want. So sit back and enjoy our best friends talking about some of the craziest things that have happened in history. Yes. I love that. So who oh. wants to go first? Because I usually go first. So I'll leave it up to Kelly and or Robert. Take it all. Uh, uh, I'll let you. So mine, mine is not a specific uh, like murder or anything. It's more of a, a cultural genocide kind of situation. Go for it. Are you guys interested? Should we start with that? So this is history, but it was in the news last week. Um, so uh, last week, okay, I've been like practicing this all day. Tukulumstate Sumakwa 
An indigenous tribe in British Columbia, one of the First Nations groups there, announced that they had uncovered the unmarked graves of 215 indigenous children at the site of a former residential school in the city of Kamloops. Uh, so this was surprising to everyone except for the indigenous people in Canada. So residential schools are a part of a system that we also had in the United States, you know, not formally connected, but a very similar situation where children are essentially abducted from communities and they are, uh, you know, put into boarding schools and in terrible conditions to be re-educated under white Canada or America. The fact that this happened in Canada is interesting because often Canada kind of gets put into a very positive light, I think because of their adjacency to the United States. You know, if you're if you're standing next to, you know, a super crazy person, you seem a little bit less crazy. Um, but it's important to remember that they are still colonizers. They have still stolen and murdered and raped so many First Nations peoples. Um, and that the conditions that First Nation people in Canada still go through today is horrible. So these schools in 1910 were uh, described as geared towards the final solution of our Indian problem. And between 1816, 1867 and 1996, the Canadian state abducted more than 150,000 indigenous children. Um, and often they just showed up with cattle cars, loaded people into them, and drove off. And the families had no knowledge of where these children were being taken, if they would be returned. And obviously these schools were filled with emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. So the Can Canadian state recognizes 3,213 deaths that occurred during that period with these students. Um, though the reality is much like high, much, it's most likely much higher than that. You know, official death statistics are always a little fuzzy, especially with a marginalized group like First Nations people. And the mortality rate that we can observe with even in that 3,213 deaths figure means that the mortality rate of those children specifically was between two and five times higher than the average school child in Canada at the time. So it's not even that, okay, well, you know, kids get sick when they're off at boarding school and they die. No, the conditions that these children were forcibly put into killed them at five times, sometimes higher rates than the average Canadian uh, white school child. Um, so in 2015, there was a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was formed in Canada. And, you know, they were attempting to form some sort of reconciliation with First Nations people within Canada. And that group specifically identified 94 calls to action. Uh, and as of 2019, only nine of the 94s have been given a passing grade by the Truth and Reconciliation Commi uh, Commission. So there's still clearly a ton of work that needs to be done there. Uh, and one of the specific things that they brought up in 2015 was it was a, they specifically said it is apparent that there are likely other unidentified residential grave sites across the country and that they recommended a national program to identify such sites. Uh, this never took place, so unsurprisingly, we are back in a new cycle where 215 children's graves that were totally unmarked was suddenly found. And this isn't, you know, an ancient archaeological site found from, you know, thousands of years ago. This is as late as the 1900s. 
this is still very fresh and very recent. But to kind of flip it back on the United States for a second, because, you know, we have no right to talk to anyone about the treatment of indigenous peoples uh, when we had the exact same school systems set up in the United States where we forcibly removed um, Native American children and put them into our schools. And there is a famous quote by Colonel Richard Henry Pratt, who was uh, the headmaster of one of these schools during the 1800s. And his motto was, kill the Indian, save the man. And if that's not like the perfect definition that the UN would use for cultural genocide, I don't, I don't know what is. So many of the different things that we talk about when it comes to genocide, or the UN specifically talks about when it comes to genocide, is attempting to erase someone's culture or to stop, uh, to remove someone's children so that they will not be raised in a culture. Because you're effectively going to end that cultural line. If you take all the children out of a community and raise them as your own, did you technically kill anyone? No, but you stopped more Native American children from growing up in their culture. That culture will die. That is cultural genocide. And it wasn't in the United States until 1978, with the passing of the Indian Child Welfare Act, that Native American parents gained the legal right to deny their children's placement in off-reservation schools. So up until nearly the 80s in the U.S., we could place Native American children wherever we deemed as a government's fit. So that uh, is just a little bit of context for if you happen to see anyone sharing any news articles about 200 uh, child graves found in Canada, if that sounds really scary and appalling, uh, it should. But you shouldn't be surprised by this because I would not be surprised at all if we had similar grave sites in the United States. And we will most likely find more because hopefully the uh, commissions that are put in place to identify these sorts of things do get the funding, you know, based on this little spike in the media to find more of these graves and either rehome the bodies to somewhere more appropriate or to, you know, give the families connected to these children some sort of recognition that their children were taken and killed. And that is uh, my case for the week. Well, shit. I didn't know about that at all. Oh, I did see, like, posts on Facebook about it. But yeah, I just didn't get, you know, the context of it. That's a lot of graves of little little babies. But so I'm, I'm assuming it was, like, a mass grave, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like individual... So the, the photos that I've seen, it looked like a like a small grave site. I, I don't know how you define the difference between mass grave and graveyard. Like, were there individual graves for each child? I'm not sure. But if you have any interest in the exhumation of mass graves, there is a book called The Bone Woman. It's very good about exhuming mass graves in Rwanda. It is written by a famous <laughs> archae- uh, forensic anthropologist Harder. whose name is oh, <laughs> Kliakoff. Because it's called the Bone Woman. That's a pretty badass name too for a the Bone Woman. Yeah, she. Uh, one of the things I remember that she kind of pioneered in her book was during the exhumation of graves in Rwanda. They were trying to identify. Um, people, but they didn't have any identifiers on them. Um, and you can't exactly put bones in front of a family member and be like, is this, yeah, who, is who this is? your sibling? 
Um, but so what they ended up doing was taking uh, photographs of the skulls, but covering up the maxilla and mandible, so it was just the teeth, and people could resem- remember the smiles. Yeah, and that's very sad. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, but thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, book wreck and some condemnation of the Canadian government handling of First Nations people. I was here for it. So, uh, Kelly, you wanna? Take it. Sure. So, um, mine isn't like actually that far back in history, but I think it's. So, my case is the bombing of the organization Move in Philly in 1985. Also, something that I heard from TikTok. Didn't know about it till that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned about it fairly recently. So, um, for context, Move was a black liberation group that was founded in 1972 by a man named John Africa. Originally, um, his name was Vincent Leapart. It fused ideologies similar to those of the Black Panther Party with like those of the hippie movement. So they were very pro-rights and then also like pro-animal rights, pro-environment, things like that. Um, I could bob with that. They had a very strong uh, Christian background. The original name of the movement was actually the Christian Movement for Life. Can't bob with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they um, they were more... They were considered by many to be almost on the border of like cult-like in that they believed mm. in communal living and um, when you joined, uh, you generally changed your last name to Africa. So everybody's last name was the same and they all kind of lived together. Um, and they also didn't believe in like formal education so they would keep their children home and things like that. It's like Bordala Hotep right now. But, I'm, 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 I'm riding a wave though. <laughs> So some more, uh, just a little more background there. They had contentious relationships with their neighbors. So they would live in a home. They were very, they weren't a very big group. Generally their original living situation was they lived in this row home. And again, they lived like communally and they were causing issues with their neighbors. And so because they were technically squatting at the time, Um, the police came in in 1978 to kind of get them out of the home and that turned out turned into a violent confrontation with police and where nine members were incarcerated for the death of a cop which there is some evidence on both sides saying that or like there's contentious evidence there that he might not have been killed by any of the members of MOVE but by another cop shooting into the home. Oh wow! Few after they left the that home, they moved into a row home at six sixty two twenty one Osage Avenue in Philly, which was a middle class black neighborhood. They lived there for three years as tensions mounted between them and their neighbors. Many complained of trash left around the home and. Um, Members shouting through bullhorns at all hours of the day. And um, they had even at one point, I think it was like late 1984 to early 1985, had boarded up the windows and built a bunker on the roof. So um, by the time May came, it was it was becoming 
even more of like an issue with their within the community. So on May 12th, the day before the the um, final confrontation, the town, the city of Philly actually evacuated everyone on that block so that they could. Um, oops. Sorry. She interrupted herself, everyone. It wasn't us. (laughs) (laughs) I even have the sound off. Anyway. Yeah, the day before, on May 12th, which was Mother's Day, they evacuated the entire block. And um, they evacuated the entire block, telling the residents that they would be able to return to their homes the next day. What took place the, um, on May 13th was the very early hours of the morning, the police commissioner, Greg Sambor, gave Move 15 minutes to vacate the residence. Um, he called to them through a bullhorn and read out their misdemeanor, or they read, read out warrants for arrest of four of the seven adults who were currently residing in the home, which were, by the way, all misdemeanor charges. The members did not come out, and gunfire was later exchanged. Although, obviously, the police had much more fire firepower, um, tear gas and high-powered water hoses were also used by police to get the group members to leave the residence, which they did not. Um, they held out late into the evening, and despite the destruction done to the home, the reinforcements that they had put in themselves held pretty steady, so the the police were not able to infiltrate. Oh, so they kind of like prepared for yeah. this. Yeah, they, they, they had, like they were ready. Yeah, they had reinforced the home with the bunkers and boarding up all the windows for something like this. Well, you know, you know, right? Yeah. So around 5.30 in the afternoon, Mayor Wilson Good approved a police request to drop a bomb on Asage, the Asage Avenue Grow House. The home did not take significant damage, but what happened is that it ignited a fire that would end up engulfing the entire 6200 block. Damn. 62... Wait. Okay, never mind. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was like, dang, what the hell? That's so much. That's a lot of houses. <laughs> well, it's better. The fire burned for about an hour before attempts were made to contain it. Mm. By that evening, the blaze was out of control despite firefighters being present. This had been a calculated choice agreed upon by both the police and fire commissioners to try to force the group members from the home. Um, And keep in mind, so all the residents of the, there were 11, no, there were 13 people in the home that day. 11 people ended up dying, including five children. They knew the children were in the home because one of the things that they um, were there for was they had a court order to remove the children because they had been um, illegally kept out of school. And so th- yeah, we're here to remove your children, so we're going to burn down your entire house. Yeah, so we're going Love to fire, like, was it? Ten- they said 10,000 rounds of ammunition into the home throughout the day. Gotta save those kids, That's right? what? Mm-hmm. For misdemeanors. Their, for their, their warrants were for misdemeanors, mm-hmm. too. Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because you think, like, if the whole thing is, like, well, you know, we're trying to do the betterment of the children and the community, let's shoot into the home and burn the entire fucking block to the ground. 
Yeah, which, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, between 60 and 65 homes were destroyed in the blaze, displacing 250 residents. The only survivors were a 29-year-old woman who went on to serve seven years in jail and a 13-year-old boy. And not much was made of it. I think maybe a few years later they apologized. Oh, but I just, thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you said that exactly right. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, that's the thing, too, is that a lot of the issues and why the police were brought in was because they were having a lot of tension with their neighbors and neighbors were upset about some of the things that were happening. But like, could you imagine being like, hey, this is causing a problem for our community? Oh, just burn all of our fucking houses down, you know? Yeah, no, just shoot up my house, too, because I'm, I, I can understand being like, oh, there's a woo-woo cult living next to me. You know, I don't like it. But I'm pretty sure those people were pretty pissed when they came home the next day and there were bullet holes just throughout their whole building. All over there, yeah. Well, but it's not yet. Yeah. It wasn't even that there were bullet holes. The entire block was burned down. Oh, yeah, like, burned, yeah. there were, there, I yeah. saw photos, and it's interesting, too, because I've, I've seen this talked about before, where they'll show photos of things that have happened even in the recent past, but to just to remove us even further from it, they'll put them in black and white. And they, mm-hmm. they had photos in black and white of the destruction, and it looked like World War II ruins. Wow, oh, like, that's crazy. Yeah, it was like, it, it was insane. And you Sydney, a brotherly love. Yeah. That's why you never see uh, color photos of Martin Luther King Jr. Exactly. We have tons of them. We have tons yeah, of no, them. They want to make it as distant, they seem as far in the past as possible. <laughs> Hey, always share them in black and white. That's fucked. It's like, was there no, like, I don't want to say reimbursement, but like the city didn't... So, I think there was, um, there was a lawsuit, and there was a, like, a payout to the lone adult survivor and two relatives of um, those killed in the fire, but I think it was like it was one point million. So the one survivor she got five hundred thousand dollars as um something was shit <laughs> like restitution for it. Is that anything though? Not, like, yeah, no, not really. Not, yeah, nothing. No. Like with years, especially with years of trauma following after that, because you know she probably had like PTSD uh, at least. Yeah. Well, and also the neighbors who lost their homes because yeah. yeah. of the fire. If they didn't have, you know, insurance that would cover yeah, that. Yeah, I did I mean, see some information where the, the, the block was rebuilt, but it, no, people didn't really move back into it. Uh, I, w- I would not either. I wouldn't have yeah. mo- moved back. Like, why? And so most, uh, most of those homes now just sit empty. To my knowledge. So. Nice job, Philly PD. Also, have a great history <laughs> of policing well yeah and it's i mean that sarcastically one more thing i mean with some of the other things that we've talked about like i know you um did an episode a while back about um tulsa and it's it's not just the the slaughter of it of like killing people especially children but the fact that like you've wiped out an entire block of working class citizens yeah. and like you, you go so hard yeah. on minority like, you know like, you, you know if there was like a, like a fucking Charles Manson cult I mean how they did some shit like that exactly how much have you set those people back of the things that they've achieved because you destroyed their homes and all of their possessions and I right. what kind of reimbursement can you get from that you, you gotta, well, you gotta generational wealth. at Parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It starts with a home. Yeah. yeah. You know? We hate to say it. But, uh, well, and again, it was at the hands of the state. It wasn't. It wasn't even a crazy white race mob. Yeah, no, no either. It was, this was state employees. It was done by a, a state employed white race mob. Mm-hmm. So to move on to my case, which uh, I'm actually glad I went last because mine is like further in the past than guys' mm-hmm. ones. So <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the Devil's Punch Bowl. So mm-hmm. now, and, and that's almost, I keep pronouncing it as Nazi. It's called Natchez. Because when I first read it, I kept, <laughs> in my head, I was saying Nazi. And that's why I was Googling the pronunciation. <laughs> I was like, oh, Natchez. <laughs> so in Natchez, Mississippi, there is a natural cabin deep into the woods east of the Mississippi River. It's like a quarter mile away from the Mississippi River. And in front of that, there's also a big cemetery, the, uh, the Nazi City Cemetery. Now, according to local legends, pirates actually used to like, you know, hide treasures and shit like this in this deep, deep cavern. Like they'll, you know, sail up on the Mississippi River, dock over there, throw their shit in here and walk away and leave it there. So people usually just go there to explore it. There's the people who like splunk down there, you know, just what cave people do, I guess. Cave people. Yeah, I'm not a caver. I don't know. <laughs> people have fascinations with the cave. Doesn't seem fun for me. Fuck a stalactite. Is <laughs> <laughs> bros a murder strictly stalactite? <laughs> we hate it. Started from the uh, bottom. And where you? Oh, where you? Yeah, where'd you go? You right there. <laughs> stalactites are just hangers on. You know. <laughs> Talk about that drip. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, but in recent years, and this uh, kind of all started in 2015, due to the cave floodings, a huge mass grave of skeletons were unearthed. And this had a bunch of archaeologists come and descent on it, and they found out that those skeletons belonged to thousands of of freed slaves and those slaves were part of one of America's many many concentration camps Jesus and this concentration camp was called the devil's punch bowl so I, I do want to give a shout out to uh, our friend over on Instagram Katie who sent me the TikTok and was like bitch I was like oh bitch he's <laughs> like it's just fucked up and this got me into like actually getting into it so now after the civil war and also during the Civil War, millions of free black people were funneled into these concentration camps who were like, depending on what sources you read, they're either called contraband camps or concentration camps. Uh, a contraband camp basically is just like, black people weren't seen as actual people around the time they were being freed. So if they were captured by Confederate soldiers and even Union soldiers, they were considered contrabands of war and they would be put into these camps called contraband camps but they were just labor camps where people go to die 
So if you ever look up this case and you see some people saying contraband camps, it's a concentration camp. <laughs> Let's call it tomato yeah, tomato. It's worse because they didn't view it as yeah, human. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you lose the concentration camp, you're viewed as a human. <laughs> Not Jesus. property of war. Oh. Yeah, so... And I'm, I was going for, instead of saying like free slaves, I just call them black Americans because they were <laughs> no longer slaves of property. So in August 1861, the Union Army and the U.S. Congress determined that they would no longer return black Americans back over state lines because, you know, they still viewed them as property. Yeah, on paper, they're freed, but they don't consider them that. So they just weren't letting anybody go. And instead of like letting them go or let them just like hang out and live their lives, they would put them in these concentration camps and keep them as property. Uh, they, it was like, the best way I can explain it. It was more just dumb labor. Like the shit they were doing really didn't mean anything. It was just uh, slavery with extra steps. Uh, they would usually be set up together off, like outside of different cities and get funneled in and do certain work and certain jobs and then put back into these camps. And uh, the most popular one was the Devil's Punch Bowl. Because the way the Devil's Punch Bowl sits, it's literally just a big, huge fucking hole in the ground. Like, just a big-ass hole in the ground. And then surrounded by a forest would be like a natural barrier. So these soldiers would... You know, put these black people basically in this hole and then they walled it up with concrete around the two. So you really just had no way to escape or even get out. And about uh, 20,000 black Americans were in that hole together. Yeah. And the conditions there were actually so bad that it's on record that people, because like you have people from the city outside Mississippi and uh, Natchez kind of come in and investigate and see what happens and then put stories in the newspaper. And you had a lot of these black Americans who were pleading to get out because they're like, hey, I'll go back to working on a plantation. Like, just get me out of this hole. Get me and my family out of here. I'll do whatever you want. And they were just confined to that hole. And uh, the main issue about, like, f- letting these black people free is that a lot of these people in these white towns didn't want that influx of black people. Like, uh, the one town in Natchez said that if they would let them out, the population would have went from, like, 10,000 to 120,000, and the majority being black, and they were just, like, not for that. So, the main issue when it came to, like, within a year, 20,000 slaves died. Well, black Americans died, sorry. And the reason why that happened so rapidly and so fast is violence. Whenever anyone tried to escape or leave, they would just get murdered or beaten to death and thrown back in a hole. And then smallpox. There was a huge smallpox outbreak and they couldn't get rid of the bodies. So when someone would drop dead of smallpox and if people were like, hey, we need a barrier to get them out of here because we're in the hole, <laughs> the uh, the soldiers would just tell them, bury them, like, just leave them where they sit. So it was just riddled with just disease. And then after a while, they also stopped sending in water, food, other resources. So you have people who are starving to death, dying of dehydration, dying of this intense labor, and then dying of smallpox. And they would just keep throwing more and more people down there. Yeah, and uh, the main death rates, the, the, main, the main ones who died were uh, children, the elderly, and uh, the men working. And mainly the women, there's mainly mainly the women are the ones who survived, and they would pass down the story of the Devil's Punch Bowl 
later to the families to the ones who got out. And for the longest time, it was never actually like recorded what actually happened there. And it kind of became a local legend until around 2015 when these bones started popping back up and the people really started digging into it. And the main reason why I wanted to talk about it is I just had no fucking idea. <laughs> I didn't even know that contraband camps were a thing or that America even had a history of having like concentration camps. But you look into it and... Well, wasn't it with the... the there was a, was it Japanese or Chinese concentration camps? That was that Japanese, happened? right? It was Japanese, but uh, many Asian diaspora people were put there. Um, I mean, just like Battle was saying earlier, this is exactly the kind of thing that like we should be taught about. I, we covered the Civil War multiple times uh, throughout my education, and I'd never once heard anyone mention about Confederate concentration camps. Yeah, I really, I really, the only, I, when I came to like America and concentration camps, I just thought about that one where they had like you know, Asian right, people. like Myanmar. Yeah, or, uh, not Myanmar. What am I saying? Uh, oh my God, I'm gonna forget the name now. Ooh. Oh. Oh, I was gonna bug you, isn't it? Andersonville? It is. Okay. No. Go ahead, Google. It's alright. <laughs> I, I, I am. I am. I <laughs> am. Well, it's interesting. Um, just a quick while you're doing that. Um, I looked up a few different things for this episode, like in history. And yeah, the main theme is that, oh, well, nobody knew that this happened. Manzanar. It's not man- Myanmar. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was my only reference to concentration camps in America. But after looking into this, yeah, no, it was a thing, and it was Kelly an ongoing finish. thing. I'm sorry, Kelly. Go ahead. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> um, just that, yeah, these these horrific things would happen, as obviously, especially to minority groups, and it's just wiped from the record, and like nobody talks about it because of the way that it makes the people who perpetuated it look and then victims don't talk about it because they're afraid of additional retribution against them. And it's just, it's the same thing over and over again. I mean, even with my case where like once like it happened and it was reported on, nobody talked about it, but it's kind of like the same thing with the news cycle nowadays where like something big happens and then everybody forgets in a couple months because there's so much stuff. Yeah. There's just more, more and more shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like we keep t- ex- expressing in this episode that you know, Black history is U.S. history. We need to talk about it and learn about it because how can we progress if we don't acknowledge our own history? And by our own history, I do mean America. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, and you know, in all of our cases, there were kind of these like aspects of like erased history. Yeah. Um, and like in you know, Devil's Punch Bowl and with the mass graves of Native American children. You know, we could be putting resources out there to locate more bodies and actually improve our understanding of like what has happened and our understanding of history. But from what I can understand, there's not resources for it. Yeah, it's not a priority to people. Well, it's because then we'd have to admit first that there is like more structural issues than we have and we don't want to. Like if we admit it, then we have to or like. If we acknowledge mm-hmm. it, then we have to admit that we're doing something wrong, and yeah. we can't do that. Right. People, Ameri- America right. doesn't want to sit in its own shit. Exactly. They rather mm-hmm. just like spray air freshener around. <laughs> Got to yeah. have that that good good cognitive dissonance. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, when we talk about, like, the people who say, like, the Confederate flag is their, like, culture and their heritage. Is this a culture? Contraband camps? Contraband camps? That's what you want statues for? That's what you want us to remember? Okay. Like a hole in the ground full of disease and death? That's that's what you want to remember? Because I I want to see a statue or a museum about contraband camps so that you understand growing up in that community what your ancestors were a part of. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say the one the one thing that I think that I've been seeing a lot that um, especially is fitting because it is June right now that um, June teeth yeah yeah uh, also like gay marriage has been around longer now than the Confederacy so that's more part of our heritage <laughs> there than, it is um, that Hell stupid yeah. flag there it is <laughs> that's crazy to think huh yeah. Yeah, that there may be gay couples out there who have been married longer than there was a confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the union. The you know? <laughs> but yeah, no, that was our history episode. Uh, we had some great conversations, some great cases. I think everyone did a good job. Passed all around. Do uh, you have any plug? You have any plug battle? Anybody else? Out of any, uh, I made a I made a really cool demon mask for the band I'm in. Ooh. I'll send you I'll send you guys a video. Yeah, send us it's, some uh, Pretty sick. Bow, do you have anything to plug? No. Um I the whole interview things. Um some people I reach out to people and they're like, yeah, we'll do it, and then I have the meetings and they don't show up, so it's been like kind of um kind of makes me sad. Like because I really want to highlight different people of color and it's not just black people, like any person of color that is doing something that's bigger than themselves or bigger than any one of you all or, you know, like us, bigger than us. It's like, I, I want to be able to do that. And, um, y'all, if you have people that you think that would like to sit down with me for a conversation about what they do to highlight them, maybe like throw them some, uh, throw a bone, like, yeah, that'd everyone, be pretty dope. Free promo. I want to collaborate with people, uh, people of color that do something outside of what we're supposed to do, right? So let's diverse up the field, fam, and have a good time. Kelly, you have anything to plug? Nope. <laughs> Just. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, neither do I. Uh, make sure you check out the links below. You see all of our social media link the spotify playlist our sources and whatnot you can also check out the patreon because we're going to be putting content on there and stay litty pet kitties (laughs) (laughs) also enjoy the next song bye see ya
purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com/purpose. Parker, engineering your success.